The music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode 42 of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery After Party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and with me at the turntable is my co-host, my favorite Jeff, who apparently is not that guy. Spoiler alert. He is Jeff Hewlett. Hi, Jeff. Heather has flipped my cards for this week already. <laughs> Apologies for my uh, my muffled voice. I'm a have a major allergy attack, so waiting for the meds to kick in. Those allergies came at you like all those little drones out of the Section yes, 31 ship, I think. All the little bits of pollen and buds that are outside the house. <laughs> I live surrounded by wood, so this is allergy central. Uh, I feel for you. I feel for you. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Disco Trek, we're a community-based uh, Star Trek discotech of sorts, focusing on each episode of Star Trek Discovery as they air. Tonight, we're discussing the very last episode of season two. The title is still very appropriate. It is such sweet sorrow, part two, certainly how I'm feeling tonight. With us to talk about the episode are two members of the Star Trek community. The first, I think he's been around before. We all out there on the interwebs within all these podcasts, we, we meet up. We go on others' podcasts. So welcome, Rick Tatro. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your network. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, I am the founder uh, and host of the Infinite Diversity Podcasting Network. Uh, right now, we have three shows on the network. Uh, Starbase The Next Generation, which is just a general all-around uh, genre fiction podcast. Uh, Open the Iris, which is our Stargate SG-1 watch-through show. And uh, Infinite Diversity, which uh, I will be getting you, Heather, and hopefully you, Jeff, on very soon. Um, to talk about uh, where I interview people who have some tie to Star Trek, whether they're fans or worked on the show or something like that, who are uh, doing things to bring light and diversity and wonderfulness into the world. I like that. that I think great. that's the best. If you're going to do a Star Trek podcast, like that's pretty much the best kind of Star mm -hmm. Trek podcast. So I'm super excited and look forward to popping onto your network. Our next guest, it's her first podcast ever, guys. We are so, so happy to have Jane here. Hi, Jane. Will you tell Hi. us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, um, we met via Twitter, where I am JaneNX01 on Twitter, which indicates that Enterprise up till now has been my favorite Star Trek series. <laughs> I have been watching Star Trek since I first saw Devil in the Dark in 1969. My favorite and, episode. Yes. And I was so scared. I was, I was four. I hid behind the couch, so it was quite the introduction to the to the franchise for me. But I've been a Trekkie ever since, and I'm really excited to be watching Star Trek now because it's the last time, it's the first time since Next Generation that I've been able to watch it in real time with other fans. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty it's pretty exciting, and this is pretty advanced considering we used Usenet back in uh, <laughs> In the TNG days, and it was it was a little bit clunkier, but still, there was still a good community, good active community. So, anyway, thanks for having me, and here I am. Well, we are so excited to have you here. We love being the podcast gateway, or the gateway podcast, I guess it would be. Uh, we find that once you start podcasting, you never stop. So that just means that we'll we'll have you on again in the future sometime. Oh. I'm sure. Okay, if I don't make a fool of myself, we'll see how it goes. We're all making fools of ourselves <laughs> while simultaneously not making fools of ourselves. So I do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're going to hop into our discussion of the episode in just a minute. First, we have some announcements. They are, they are not the same as always. I'm not going to go into how the show functions um, because Jeff and I are actually going to take a bit of a break. Um, I, I, we've not quite determined the extent of the break. We don't know if we're going to completely... Well, we're not going to completely disappear because there are some supplemental episodes that will come out. Um, however, we may do some sporadic episodes. I think both Jeff and I have a lot going on in our personal lives as well as prepping for STLV uh, and all the fun parties. So just hang in there. Keep following us on Twitter and Facebook uh, and keep an eye out in case you see uh, a tweet pop up encouraging you to be on the show, um, but we won't be doing this weekly. So just be aware of that. However, we still do have a Patreon and we would still love your support. So Jeff, will you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yes, you can find our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions or by visiting our website, the Tricordertransmissions.com and clicking the orange Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. So if you enjoy what we do here on Disco Trek or any of our other Tricorder Transmission shows, please think about joining our growing list of patrons. So becoming a patron will give you instant access to our unedited episodes and some other material that we've been releasing, uh, including early access stuff and some video content for some of the higher tiers. And speaking of tiers... I'm not going to list them all, but we do have some brand new tiers that we've been breaking out on the site for different pledge levels. So feel free to visit the page and see all the great benefits that you get at all the different levels when you're thinking of signing up. So thank you for considering it. And we have no Patreon news this week. It's been a little bit quiet, but thank you once again to all of our existing patrons. We love you all. Yes, we do. Always happy to watch our Tricorder tribe grow, especially as our network does. Um, keep an eye out. We have a new podcast uh, that will be dropping fairly soon. That is Faraday, and that is the Gaming Play podcast. Uh, so keep an eye out. Now, all right. I don't even know where to start here. Um, spoiler alert. I don't know. Like, If you haven't watched the episode, don't wa- stop. Stop right now. Uh, there will be spoilers abound, so go watch the episode, then come back and listen. Um, the show is segmented into three parts. We have Drop the Record, which is our opening remarks and reactions. Play a new track is where we explore what we learn that's new about the universe and discovery. And Spin It Again is our look back at standout moments, characters, scenes, themes, anything you feel is worth a little extra attention Oh my gosh, I can't even with this episode. I can't even with this season. I watched this episode and I told my partner, like, as I was bowling, I have to do a podcast about this. (laughs) (laughs) How am I going to get through a show without crying? And I think it's, I think I'm going to be able to do it. Um, But I watched the episode. I only got to watch it twice, which I'm kind of sad about. But even the second time, I cried. Uh, so I am so excited to hear what you have to say. Rick, what did you think about this seri- season finale? Uh, I think I'm going to be that guy this time. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I think it was a beautiful execution of a deeply flawed script. There was so much great in this episode. And yes, I shed a tear or two myself. But I had some serious problems with the main peril and also with the way they took out a character who I very much liked and was very 
disappointed in her departure because it was kind of silly. Um, <laughs> but overall, uh, you know, I loved it. I've watched it two and a half times. Uh, you know, it, it's certainly better than season one's finale. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and I don't think, you know, everybody did their jobs great. It's just, I don't, I don't know what it is. This, the writers are so good at doing such a great job all season. And then they just can't seem to stick the landing at the end. And, uh, it's, it, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm still aboard. I'm still looking forward to season three. Uh, I'm glad where it's going and I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that later, but, uh, just, it, it left me a little flat. Well, I'm going to come back and ask you specifically about those things. Yeah. But first, I want to hear from everybody else. So, Jane, what did you think? Oh, my gosh. Um, it was almost overwhelming. Well, it wasn't even almost overwhelming. It was just so overwhelming. The entire episode to me, I was I was crying both times <laughs> during a good portion of it. Like, serious, full-on sobbing it was pretty ugly. And for me, it it moves so fast sometimes that, and I think this is a function of there only being... 14 episodes per season that I sometimes feel like we're just barreling through everything so fast. And I want to slow down a little bit and um, get to know what's going on a little more than, I mean, the short treks are great. They give us a little bit of background, but I need, I almost need a little more than that. Overall though, the, I mean, I thought the episode was great. Uh, The death that we're speaking of was very upsetting to me because I kind of had a, had an attachment to her as another middle-aged lady. I was really happy to see a middle-aged lady up there being a boss. Um, It was great. I mean, I can't wait till the next one. And there were some moments that just literally took my breath away. That scene where Discovery's following Michael into the wormhole. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that, that was just an astounding shot. So it was, I mean, it's great. Can't wait for more, but I need a break. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> it's, it's almost too much sometimes. Uh, Jeff, Jeff can vouch for my my very real quote of mm-hmm. like of I need a break. Like I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it has. I last last season also felt like a lot of the episodes there was just a lot going on. Um, and I I still enjoyed last season. I I definitely feel that these two seasons were very different. Um, and I liked this season a lot more, but yeah, like I definitely feel that Star Trek Discovery plays a lot more like a movie now, um, and a lot of that involves the action. Um, and there were even parts where that some of the action, like for me, the the scenes where they were kind of revisiting all the Red Angel signals, like. That that I didn't really need all that, um, but when I th- watched it the second time, I was like, okay, the fact that this keeps popping in is kind of helping move the other stuff along. There was there were some episodes where I had probably I think Oval for Charon is one where it would go from super fast paced to just a couple characters talking, and so I had trouble like coming out of the crazy fast pace and going into something slow. And then I'd get bored and I'd want to go back to the action. And so in this episode, I didn't feel that way at all because it was just go, go, go. Um, there were a couple quiet moments. Um, but for me, they didn't take away. Um, but Jeff, what about what about you? 
Well, good news. As you said, Mr. Negative has been sent 930 years in the future. Uh, so he is not here today. Um, seriously, I thought this was a great uh, season ender. Uh, something that Rick had said, especially in comparison to the season one season finale, that kind of left me feeling like, ugh. But I, I felt like this did wrap up a lot of loose ends uh, that were out there. Uh, gave us some, at least some satisfaction on quite a few of them. And it leaves us with a lot of things to speculate about for season three. Um, it also frees Discovery from the current canon and timeline and will hopefully allow for more exploration and kind of a more of a free-form season next season, maybe not necessarily uh, tied to a certain arc, but we'll see how that goes. And I'm, I'm very curious as to what the newly quote-unquote fixed timeline will look like in the future. I'm imagining all the life on all those planets just popping back up after Burnham and Discovery went through and saved the uh, future. So I'm interested to see, you know, who's out there. Starfleet's still around. The Klingon's still around. Who's still around? It's going to be interesting when they get there. Um, some good performances, as always. Uh, the score, again, was great. And I think these are some of the biggest and most epic space battles we've seen in Star Trek. It was huge and cinematic. Actually, I hate to even make this reference, but it reminded me a lot of Star Wars <laughs> battle scenes. Sorry. Sorry, um, guys. No, it's... Look, I, not to interrupt you, um, but I... Glad that you said that because it's certainly something I have seen as both a compliment and a criticism. And I'm on board with it being more of a compliment because, like, there's no verses. Star Trek and Star Wars are two very different things. Yes, they're right. Um, and I don't think, I think that Star Wars has, in these more recent films, been working towards having a more profundity to the writing mm -hmm. i think that anything that makes star trek more marketable to a broader audience is a good thing and one of the one of the major complaints i've heard about star trek in the entirety of the time i've been a star trek fan is that it's boring or it's too slow and there's criticism within that i'm not going to bother addressing because like star trek is not for everyone okay but if some of these scenes kind of bring that Star Warsian action uh, and graphics to Star Trek and then attract people because of that, I'm on board. So that's, it's not Star Trek being similar to Star Wars in that way is totally a compliment um, in my book. Yeah, I was looking at it as more of a compliment as well. I think the only thing missing from this from a Star Wars perspective is that hotshot pilot that can't get shot down. Um, we we didn't have that. Poe, yeah, Poe or Luke or whomever, Anakin. Um, oh, wait a second. Oh, we have a Poe. <laughs> I mean, Bur Burnham got hit by something for a minute, and she was minute. okay. She was, she, yeah, she was fine. She was fine. But I, guys, I think a wormhole is opening. I think Mister Negative is back from the future for a second here. Oh no! Oh yes, but this is not about discovery. Uh, this is this is a I, I just bringing this up for a second because I don't know if this happened to you guys, but it confused the living hell out of me. I pay the the ten dollar a month for no ads, and there was an ad on the beginning of my discovery episode that totally threw me off. I thought I was watching a different show, so I was like yeah. trying to figure it out. I'm like, is my CBS app screwing up? I'm like, I'm I'm force closing it and rebooting my Apple TV. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And I fast forwarded a little. Oh, and there's Discovery. So I was like, wait a minute. I thought I this wasn't supposed to get an ad, but I got an ad. So okay, Mister Negative's leaving now. <laughs> I didn't know that happened to anybody else, but it really annoyed me. It happened to everybody. It was it it, happened to me. Yeah, it was specifically like CBS responded to somebody's tweet and said, 
you know, yes, this was a promotion for um, a CBS All Access original show. So it's something that we're going to be doing from time to time. Mm. Um, and I love you, Jeff. But at the end of the day, like it was not even a minute long. Like, I God know, forbid, everybody. Like, I if you want your it. five cents, I will send you five cents. No, it's not about the money. I'm just <laughs> very confused by it because I, I, I'm used to seeing the CBS All Access blue swash when it started. And I saw something else with this my app screwing up. And it, as it was showing me a different show by by mistake or something, I don't know what's going on. So I was just confused. <laughs> I did get that. I remember now, but it was it. The thing looked so forgettable that I've forgotten now. That it, <laughs> yeah. it just completely went out of my head. Not Star Trek. Not interested. Yeah, it did, it didn't look like a good show to me. I don't know. But regardless, I'm like it's a, a minute of my life. Not a, not a big deal. Um, so let's let's move back on. Let's 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 move over. I, like not to continue the negativity. Um, but everyone knows I do like to have constructive conversations about things that we don't like. So. Rick, what specifically with the writing didn't work for you? My biggest problem, and this goes to both halves of this episode, um, in, in, in the first half, when uh, they, they go to Zahia, and presumably Zahia's communications are working, uh, I would assume, uh, but they don't call for help. Uh, Sarek and Amanda show up, and they come and go, and they don't go to get help. They're getting ready to jump away, and Michael's like, no, as long as we have the data and Leland's going to find us, we have to go into the future. You've got a spore drive that's working. You could go, you know, is there a difference between going 950 years in the future or a distance that's 950 years away (laughs) at maximum warp where you can strategize and plan and take all the time you need to try to deal with that data instead of this this manufactured urgency because there's 30 ships chasing you who only have warp drive and it it was like you know it was like the 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 gravity boots in in Star Trek 6 this this one major plot point that was so silly that i had trouble getting over it yeah i don't know i don't I, if anybody else wants to I, like i i don't have an answer my my, my um my understanding is that it's just far too dangerous to have that knowledge in the ship there and at the end of the day we have to find a good reason to do what we're going to do my my question at the end of this this episode and talking about kind of speculating about where it was going to go was how how far in advance like when when did this plan come into effect to do this with the show because I don't think it was there from day one in the writer's room. <laughs> no. And, and I understand that uh, um, Brian Fuller kind of left them in a, in, a, in a place that none of the writers really wanted to be. And yeah. they've been kind of digging themselves out of that hole for, you know, for two seasons now. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I, I don't even know what the, you know, all they had to do was like maybe knock the spore drive out. And then it would have been just, you know, okay, our only other option is to go through time because we can't get away you know we can't jump to andromeda where they can't possibly reach us you know it was it's star trek has done that to me a lot of times like when in star trek generations where you know they separate the ship and then the star drive section explodes because the 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 core breaches but there's no not even an attempt to eject the core because maybe the the movie writers didn't know that could be done you know one line i can't eject the core and it would have been fine but it, it just kept staring at me in the face like why didn't you do that so, I mean, they felt that control had evolved to the point that it was going to find them no matter what. And they only had 
a certain amount like they basically had the choice of trying to re-energize or read something the spore drive like the spore drive wasn't usable because why it wasn't there, there, was, there was nothing wrong with the spore drive i thought that there was does no that was my problem they they they, they jumped as a heel with no with no trouble at all and then all of a sudden they're going to follow us anywhere we go. Well, you can go a whole lot farther faster than they can. Oh, am I wrong? Because I thought in the it first was part of the, ep- the last episode, for at least for a while. Yeah, in the last episode, it was essentially disabled, and so they were going to have to either use everything to charge the battery, or like they weren't. Like there was a specific reason that oh, well, I don't. Well, yeah, it, it was. You're you're right. They were going to use the power they could have used for the spore drive to charge the crystal. Right. So I think that in that case, if they had jumped, then they might have been stuck in dead, like, regardless of how far it was, they would have been kind of stuck in dead water for a while with the possibility of control finding them. Like, we're just, I think we're supposed to assume that control is going to come after them regardless. It's going to outsmart them. It's going to know all of their moves. And so there's no real way of escape. And so then that leaves them with that, that, choice like we need to go now so this is our option um i do think that the criticism about like how quickly everything happened within these two episodes is fair <laughs> yeah well um there's another perspective on that and I, I i totally get rick's argument and it makes total sense to me but the other thing i was thinking about was there was a there was a small uh little kind of a toss out line where uh when when they were scanning and they saw leland was the only living thing on all of those ships means that control killed every single person on all of those ships so it was already hell-bent on destroying sentient life and if it's if it figured out that okay well they're too far away for me to get the data i'm just going to start wiping out life until i can get to it at some point they could have just wiped out everybody you know control could have just taken could have gone right to earth wiped out everybody on earth while discovery was out there dinking around in andromeda mm. you know that was control's goal right that was the ultimate goal was to wipe out all intelligent life and didn't necessarily need to be sentient to do that because it already showed it had no care for any sentient life by killing all the people on all those ships yeah Yeah, that's a good point i'll I'll, i you know i'm i totally would love some headcanon to get me off of this train because i'm not enjoying it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i no, it's a tough spot like earlier in the season i was in a place where i was just kind of stuck and i'm like oh i'm not this isn't jiving with me i'm not getting what i normally get out of discovery um and and that's a horrible feeling like i want to love what i love uh so it's difficult to wrap your head around when some of that happens uh i know that for me like again i don't I just don't think too hard. <laughs> and I, uh, some of the criticisms with this episode, and it might have played into um, Cornwall's, Cornwell, Cornwell's death, with that also being a little too easy, like that was the only option. So there was some criticism of like, why didn't they beam her out? Mm-hmm. And why didn't they use a... Uh, one of the little Wally robots to, <laughs> to pull the, the lever... This is where it just comes down to like, this is how television works. And I don't know what um, Jane Brooks future is. She is a working actress. So she does have other commitments and I don't know if she's on her way to do something else or if the show just said, okay, let's do this this way. Um, I know that from my perspective, I was, I have loved that character. I have 
admired her for her ability to call people on their BS. That is a quality that I admire. For some reason, she intimidates the heck out of a lot of viewers. <laughs> I love her. I think she's great. I, said, I, I adored her. I'm very sad that she was the one they picked to kill. Yeah. And um, anytime I post about her on Twitter, like there's all these just weird, this weird pushback. So I don't, I think probably because she calls people out on their BS, uh, some people don't like that. But the, the point for me is that I, I have deeply admired her. She's not been like a favorite of mine. But when that happened, and of course, like we knew the minute that she saw the lever to pull, like we knew what was going to happen. I cried so much. Like I did not, I just didn't expect it. And it was like in that moment, I started to realize like how much she actually has meant to me, whether, whether I was cognizant of it or not. Um, And I felt like if they were going to pick a character to kill off the way that they did that and her making that choice to sacrifice herself um, and telling Pike you know, whatever your future holds, you've got this basically, like you can handle it. Um, so like, even in that moment, just, just being giving and giving someone else confidence in their future. Um, I thought, I thought she died a very honorable death in saving the enterprise and saving all of the crew, this crew that we have grown, like, I, you know, a lot of women I know have loved number one forever. I think everyone out there loves Spock. And now Pike has like the biggest following of every star, any Star Trek captain <laughs> I've seen. But the fact that now I know that this amazing woman <laughs> saved all of that makes her even more legendary. So I, oh no, oh no, that I won't ask you, Jane. I was like, I don't know. For for me, it was the total opposite of your experience, Rick. <laughs> well, okay. Part of the problem may be because, you know, my job involved, you know, I'm a, I'm a the technical director of a theater. So I'm kind of like the engineer of my ship. Mm-hmm. And I know every nut and bolt and circuit in my theater. And number one should know every nut and bolt and circuit in her ship. And if any blast door has a manual release, all of them do. That should have been the first thing they went to when they went into that room, not diddled around for 15 minutes and then have a total stranger to the ship go, hey, what's that lever do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't like, I don't know. Do we know that... Well, like, has Corn has Cornwell like has she been on a Constitution class? Has she, like, I mean, she's been helping with everything, but I don't know that she's ever been the captain of or well, been no, that's, on. That's what I mean. Is number one should have known that right away. Oh, okay, right. And seeing that there, okay, I got confused for a minute. Jane, did well, you want to say something? Yeah, I was going to say I never got the impression that Cornwell was usually a crew member she she's in starfleet but i kind of got the impression that she was back at headquarters she was some kind of you know higher up person in the in the organization but not necessarily on a ship all the time yeah i i think that ultimately like my understanding you can't transport people in the ship now I don't I know you can't transport people out like when shields are up and stuff but can you transport someone from room A to room B? Yes and no. In the in the Go ahead. 
no, no, you go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, didn't they talk, they talk about that in The Next Generation, where it's, they cert, I don't think they could do it in TOS, but I think in Next Generation, they started doing it. So we're talking about pre-trans, the transporter isn't that finely tuned yet. Okay. Well, it's it, my impression. In, in uh, um, Day of the Dove, in TOS, the one with the Klingons and the swords, that was like the first time they, they beamed Kirk and Spock into engineering. Um, and Scotty was like, this is really dangerous. We shouldn't be doing this. Um, but that, that's, you're right, that's sight to sight. That's beaming from one part of the ship to another. Mm-hmm. But I think just beaming her out of, the, out of the room into the transporter room shouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, that I'm not, I'm just, I'm not sure. Like I... Too much interference from the torpedo. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and wave that away with the, you know, oh, there's magnetic or whatever in there, and I, I feel, yeah, it's one of those. Again, it's just I, I don't think too much because (laughs) at the at the end of the day, we're not going to rewrite the episode, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I had to look at did this work for me, Um, and for me, it worked. It worked tremendously. For Rick, it may not have worked. (laughs) Well, it's it's Arium all over again. You know, you didn't have to blow her out of the airlock. They could have beamed her over, but yeah, and it, but like Arium worked for like again. It's I think there are just certain levels of well, not levels of storytelling, but certain certain techniques that it, it works for some people. It doesn't work for others, um, and it's it's okay both ways. I understand mm-hmm. the criticisms about Arium, um, regardless of how I feel about it, and I think you know we we talk about. Well, I, Arium's a whole different thing. <laughs> like her death is still different from this death. I mean, at least people, you know, this is a character that we got to know pretty well. Um, I'd say, but I, 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 devastated, devastated for sure. I just, I was, I was in awe of that. I was in awe of a lot in this episode because I, for me, like I understand where writing is lacking in places. Um, it's not something again that like really, I don't know. I just, I don't think too much about it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. I'll freely admit I do think too much about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, 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 that's not a bad thing. It's just for me, if I start thinking about something to the point where it's making me really dislike a thing, um, then why am I punishing myself? Like I, like I enjoyed it to begin with. So I I don't want to teach myself to dislike something that I originally liked unless someone else is showing me a perspective that says, well, you may not have seen this. I think everybody has their level of what they're willing to let slide. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a lot of that writing stuff I'm willing to let slide because I enjoy the space stuff. I enjoy the Star Trek universe. I enjoy you know, the characters and the ensemble and everything. And a lot of times, you know, really, Sarah and Amanda, you're absolutely right. They could have taken a message back. I'm like, why didn't I think of that during the episode? But they absolutely could have. Eh, I'll let it slide. You know, I'm enjoying yeah. the episode enough that it just, it's not, I'm not going to let it bother me. Yeah. But everybody has a different level of what they're going to not let bother them. Well, totally. And like, at the end of the day, like I thought about what are my criticisms of this episode that I loved so, so much. Like, even the little robot guys, like the Wally dudes, they kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, what, what? Okay. Um, but they didn't do anything to take away from my enjoyment. I just thought, oh, that's interesting. They were kind of uh, goofy, but kind of fun. 
yeah, like that, yeah. Uh, the, you know, my partner was like, oh, that's, that's fun. And I was like, okay, yay. But there, you know, the uh, things for me, like, I think control was mitigated too easily. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I kind of thought that control would be more than just the one pers- person, you know, just in Leland. But it, that is what worked to serve the story. So, okay. Um, Maybe that's my only learn their lesson, Heather. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, the only other minor thing is I wanted, like, what happened with the Kelpians and the Ba'ul? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was going on there? Where were the Ba'ul? Did they just take their ships? Kelpians well, ate them all. I had... I had head cannoned that into, you know, when we la- last saw the Kelpians and Serana, um, Serana was wanting to uh, work towards peace. And so I was like, well, maybe they got there. But the fact that there were no Ba'ul on the, on the fighters kind of makes me wonder what exactly happened. And it would be great if we got a short trek. Although I don't know that 15 minutes or less is going to do that justice. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if we'll ever find out that answer. So I did I, seeing her again. I was really happy to see her again. But the Baul are so physically different from the Kelpians. I was like, how is she fitting into that fighter? Because shouldn't their fighters be configured for the Baul? For ghoul? For goo? Like, what? <laughs> All right, whatever. Moving on. I love her. We're, we're going to go with it. So like, where was their, their pool of goo? Yeah, sit in? exactly. Yeah. Um, there, there are questions there that I do wonder about, but at the end of the day, I was very caught up in like watching these two badass women come help the fight. Uh, like I did not, like I expected we would see Poe. I never thought we'd see Serana. And the last time that we saw her, I was kind of left thinking, holy, like, how is she going to do this? Um, she's such a, like a, this is, yeah. <laughs> It sounds terrible to say, like, she's such a, a nice, um, you know, calming, wants to work towards peace. And women like that could certainly be leaders as well. But it was like, how are they going to get there? And whoa, Serana's badass. She's <laughs> just, it, it blew me away. And I feel bad for ever thinking, like, oh, she's so peaceful. How will she do this? Because she obviously showed me. Well, remember how, how Saru turned into a badass after he got rid of his ganglia so that is very true now we're ganglia free there's no more fear so oh i like this i didn't even think about that yay this is why i like to podcast because you remind me of things (laughs) i forget all right so let's move over um to play a new track where we talk about what we learned new um jane do you feel confident going first well, the thing that the thing the two things that popped out for me were we've certainly discovered now why we've never heard of the spore drive before because mm-hmm. if they're going to take it off into the future and nobody's allowed to talk about it, okay, it's gone. That's why. So that's been fixed, and people can stop complaining about it. Thank you very much. They're still going to complain. I know people <laughs> complain all the time. I just ignore it. I just ignore it. And you know, I'm sorry, but Leland at the end he sounded like a Borg. His voice was very Borgy. And correct me if I'm wrong. Don't correct me because I'm not wrong. I think, <laughs> I, I honestly think that that's, that we've hit the origin of the Borg now. We we will see. I mean, we definitely talked about that a couple of, well, what, uh, the two episodes ago? I don't know. When it was the the hot speculation of the week, we for sure did. I don't know. I... 
it was his voice that convinced me because I kind of was like, hey, yeah, the Borg, we've done it to death. We've done it to death. But when he talked and when Gant, the guy who was a couple episodes ago, who was the, yeah, the right, he sounded like a Borg too. And I was like, hmm. So that, that makes me very suspicious. It was, it was the voice. I mean, Not I, those nano things. It was the voice. I, we will see what happens. I think if we get that, it might come like in the section 31 show. I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens for sure. I don't know, Rick, Jeff, either of you have an opinion? I, I, I just to no. I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the Borg. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm in the, in, in the camp of if they do that, I will be very, very, very disappointed. Um, because, you know, it is at least as, okay, I hate to use the C word, but as far as, you know, established continuity at this point, the Borg have been well entrenched in the Delta Quadrant for quite some time. Uh, for like millennia. Um, so for this to be the origin of the Borg, they'd have to do some more time travel shenanigans that would just be really uh, annoying to me. Uh, I guess we'll see. Jeff? Mm, well, we didn't mention the fact that the Section 31 pods used a refractive lattice shielding. So that shows that they're modifying systems like the Borg do. So that's another interesting nod. And that's a good point. Something that and this is something that might ruffle Rick's feathers, but this is one thing I had to mention later on that I thought could be problematic in the future. Uh, Leland's nanoprobes are still on discovery in the future now. Yeah. So what does that mean? I mean, I don't think necessarily that they're dead. They're magnetized to the floor, but uh, who knows? Maybe they're not dead. Time travel shenanigans. Yeah. That, that, well, that was why didn't they scrub the mission when they realized Leland was on board the ship? Was and why did he come on? This is another thing that bothered me from earlier that, as was annoying to me talking about weird writing things. Why did he come on the bridge, shoot a bunch of people, and then leave? Why did he go to the bridge at all? Yeah. I was like, what is he doing there? It's just, it was a weird drama. Yeah, I, think, I guess. I yeah. think that, Moving on, I guess. <laughs> no, well, real quick, I think that, that him coming to the bridge and that scene playing out differently was a way to let the audience know that things were changing. And it wasn't Fair. necessarily the future that Burnham saw and Reno saw when they touched the crystal. Yeah. That's, think, yeah, that's good. I, I accept that. I will right. accept that. <laughs> Rick, what about you? What about new stuff you learned? Uh, Ethan Peck looks like he's 16 without a beard. Oh, man, yeah. I'm, I'm all for a bearded Spock. Like, <laughs> oh, no, he's a dog. Oh, okay, moving on. <laughs> um, I think... Nan and Giorgio make an awesome team, and I want them to get their own series. Heck yeah. Yum, yum. <laughs> I and, am down. And I'm glad to see that Starfleet is still filling the walls and ceilings of their ships with rocks. <laughs> I, I'm getting more excited about Section 31 show. I was thinking... The vibe that Nan might be uh, on it? I don't, I don't know, but as long as she stays around, I'm good. Because... She, like, I am in love with her. Um, she is just, she's very different, I think, from a lot of women characters that we've seen in Star Trek. I don't think we've seen anybody like her before. Um, I know, like, her yum-yum comment was a little confusing to some people. Like, I don't get why she made that comment there. That was weird. <laughs> and that's just, like, her spicy personality, which I can be like that sometimes, and I just absolutely adore it. Like, she is... She's the best. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, so I, I yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited 
to see like I assume she's back I know there was some worry uh because when we left her I think she was on the ground recovering from the fight the last time I watched it I tried to see if she was still moving when when uh Leland and, and Giorgio ran out like they, you couldn't tell she I saw her move some so I think okay. I yeah I think she's gonna be fine um I don't know what the future will hold with the whole section 31 thing we can now assume that season three since Giorgio is in the future and ash tyler is now the head of section or not the head of section is he the head of section 31 or just the oh, he's in charge of it yeah okay <laughs> we're gonna get there we're gonna get to this journey and and see her end up where we i mean i assume she's gonna go back to this time i don't know guys i don't know and that's what i love about it is i just have no clue um but i think michelle yo has just been great i loved her this season but i especially loved her in this episode because she is just again like i don't know i don't know enough about section 31 to go into some big spiel about it um but i i think that the whole gray line area and the, you know, are they good? Are they bad? I'm looking forward to how this is going to be explored. And I'm excited that she's a catalyst. I was thinking today, like, there was a lot of talk about like, is she a redeemable character? I think I did a Twitter poll about it or whatever. And then I was thinking about her as compared to like Kai Wen. And like, hmm. Kai Wen was, was never portrayed in any way that was redeemable. No. Um, so I, she was not a character that was ever out to be a redeemable character. And frankly, I don't know that Giorgio ever, that, that, that will ever be the path. She's, she is on the ship. She definitely helped, helped them. She and Michael, despite the differences they've had, uh, they have they they are affectionate like mike she was included when michael said she loved everybody last episode but she is still a very dark twisted person <laughs> um she gives a i don't know i got like this little bit of horror vibe and so i don't know what what like what way the section 31 show is going to go but i'm really super excited cuz i i hope we just get more from her um, that's my spiel about that. I'll, I'll move on from that. Jeff, did you have stuff that you learned? Oh, yes. Uh, Saru has joined the ranks of uh, such prestigious aliens as Spock and General Chang and being very well read in Earth literature. <laughs> Having read Sun Tzu, I, I thought that was a very nice nod. Seemed very Star Trek to me, uh, very in line with other uh, people we've seen in Trek before. And um, I, I, I kind of scratched my head. I scratched a head scratching moment like you did, Heather, with the little uh, Wally robots. But I didn't realize that Starfleet vessels had hundreds of little ships within them that they could launch in <laughs> battle scenes. Um, well, Discovery did. Yeah, but I mean, just wow. That's a lot of little escape pods and shuttlecrafts and stuff. <laughs> that uh, just seems like very convenient to have all of those uh, those little ships contained within and, and enough crew to fly them all. So, uh Interesting. Well, I, I think they're just like their own. I don't know that they were controlled by anything. I think they were like Roomba, like just autonomous. Oh, I, they take voice commands uh, from Captain Pike. No, they were. Yeah, they were all they were all manned. Yeah. Oh, OK. Amazing. Like like. Oh, well, that's like people in them manned. Yeah, that was yeah. the impression I got. Yeah. Number How one said I that got... she number one said she commandeered. Uh, she she was a. Uh, 
adapting shuttlecraft, worker pods, and the tactical pods, those things they used in the, in the beginning of the series Yeah, when they went to, the, to rescue the Hiawatha. All right. Well, people need to tweet at me because I feel like I can't be the only one that thought they were just <laughs> autonomous robots. Like, I did not think there were people in them. Thinking about it from that perspective, if there were actually people in every single one of them, how much of the Discovery crew didn't go into the future with Discovery and, in fact, was still back on the battlefield? Hmm. Did yeah, I just, and I, I don't Probably know. Not. I'm, I, I need feedback because I, I don't like even looking at them. There's, I don't know how you'd put a person in a tiny R2D2 with arms and a small well, torso. No, not the, not the, the, the little fixer robots. Oh, okay. So I'm just totally confused then. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about the fighters, <laughs> the, the fighter ships, not the, not the little R2 Rosie the robots. Okay. And they came out, they were in Discovery then and came out. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> ships, lots of ships everywhere. There's always lots of ships. Works for me. Well, it's a good I, way to get the crew off of the ship so that the only people that are going into the future with Michael are that core ensemble team and they're just they're the only ones that were on the ship that was the impression i got well hopefully they have enough people to operate the ship and make all repair all the damage that was done there there were more there were all the people in sick bay yeah that's true there were a lot of people in sick bay so i think that a good amount of crew still went into the future which we just again didn't see that part because and, you know, God forbid we did see a whole crew of people getting talked to so people could <laughs> complain about that small 30-second slowdown. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, Jeff, what else? Uh, I think that's about it for my play a new track. Oh, no. That leaves me. I think my best new thing ever, uh, though it apparently is not the first time that today is a good day to die has been said in Klingon. Oh, that was um, but the return of Laurel, like I, you know, you knew that Ash Tyler went to go do something. That's how we left the last episode. So you kind of assumed he was going to go get the Klingons. Never thought he'd also be bringing Serana and everyone. I, I wish we had gotten more, not so much more with the Klingons, but just something, something more with Laurel this season. I didn't get enough of Laurel and I, I really, I really enjoy her. I loved her in this. I loved the fact that she came back like a full on Klingon queen. Um, I, I don't know that my, my partner and I kind of jumped up and down when she said that. <laughs> um, Cause it was just really cool to kind of see her come into that. Um, and then I think what was her other, there was another quote that she said. Um, that her reign was going to be a bloodless one. The ruin of our enemies. Yes, both of those. I had to screen cap pretty much everything. She's like, and I thought my chancellorship would be bloodless. <laughs> and then she's like, we will wade knee deep through the ruin of our enemies. It was just super amazing to see her like really embody uh, this amazing Klingon character. And then still sort of at the end when discovery leaves having her there with ash tyler and seeing like the sensitivity of it was i don't know that it was so much that tyler was staying behind for laurel um but that essentially like since he's going to be there for section 31 well i guess he didn't find out about that till after so he's kind of back with the klingons and that is another kind of weird gray area that i saw mentioned on twitter like 
weren't the Klingons supposed to think he was dead? And now he's back having you, like, it would have been cool maybe to see him come back in however that happened. Yeah, but that would have killed the Gandalf riding over the hill with the uh, with the riders of Rohan moment. Yes, yes. Mm. See, exactly. That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of glad... Maybe we'll see more of Laurel in Section 31. I don't know. I just, I hope it's not the last that we ever see of her. Um, but let's see. New stuff. I kind of liked how they revealed all of the, when Burnham was going to jump through the wormhole and she couldn't get the coordinate set to jump to the future. And so everything kind of came together with how the signals worked. Yeah, that I was thought, nice. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool moment and like, a cool way to bring it all together and then I do think like one of my favorite things was seeing that wormhole open and seeing her go into the wormhole and then seeing the ship follow like I've never I I, that is the coolest wormhole ever (laughs) I was kind of thinking about the wormhole in DS9 and like oh I I like this one better um other than that I didn't have a lot of like new information standout moments. So let's just move on. Let's let's um, go to spin it again and talk about the really awesome stuff that deserves extra special attention. Um, Rick, what do you have? What do you what do you think is just super awesome? I've got some great stuff for this one. I, Yay. I, I, I will come. I came out of the gate being a poopy face, but now I've got some. <laughs> now I'll talk about the good stuff. D sevens everywhere. <laughs> Uh, everyone can be happy now right (laughs) uh poe i love her so much i don't know if there's any way we'll see her again on anything um but she's just an i i I, along with the with the uh non and giorgio buddy cop series i want a poe and jayla adventure movie Ooh, i'm down for that spock and burnham in the shuttle bay when they did the salute and touch their hands together. Oh. Uh, I, oh, I, I have cried a little bit. I can't think about that too much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciated that Spock's um, outfit has thumb holes. Like, <laughs> those are the best. I, Spock's like, Gersha Phillips, woman, you deserve all the awards because the way, like, the costumes in this season especially, uh, they were phenomenal. Um, so that I'm putting that out into the universe. Yeah, yeah. Spock and uh, and Giorgio, I love both of their their outfits. I would cosplay both of those. <laughs> uh, and my last thing on spinning again, Spock station at the end was oh. especially when he turned on the the spinny oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was a special moment. That was really nice. I really think that Leonard would be so so proud. Oh yeah, I think so too. This has been my favorite, outside of the man himself, this has been my favorite iteration of Spock. Here, here. And that moment when, I'm going to start crying again, that moment when his uniform comes out of the replicator, and I'm going to cry, <laughs> and you see the comm badge with the little sciences symbol on it. Yeah. Right, that you that it was Spock's, it was Spock's comm badge. Mm. I can't even bear it. <laughs> I, I'm I, I, now getting all crying. It's okay. I'm happy if I'm not the only one that cries. Like Heather is known for just crying on all her podcasts. I've done better this season, guys. So I'm, you know, sorry about all the crying last season. 
Oh, I uh, openly sobbed when they walked onto the Enterprise Bridge in the first half of this of this episode. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. It, uh, yeah. I kind of just got to like a point where all I did was cry. The rest, of- <laughs> my partner looked over at me because uh, I had I've you know it's like one of those weeks where you're working like sixty hours a week. You've got all this stuff going on. You're exhausted. Um, you know, not in the best of moods and. We, we watched that and I just am bawling and bawling. He's like holding me. And then at the end of it, he's like, I'm really glad you got to see this episode today. <laughs> like <laughs> It was cathartic. It was, yeah. Okay. Oh, now I'll cry. All right. Anything else, Rick? Uh, yeah. One last thing. Blue phasers. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and all the sounds, all the, all the weaponry sounds on the Enterprise, just they hit little eight-year-old me right in the feels. Yeah. The- the Enterprise Bridge sounded perfect. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. Well, you're making my heart happy. All right, Jeff. Oh, wait, Jane. We'll go Jane first, right? Okay. Sorry, I got all... And there were so many moments in this that were just that were just so good. Um, there's this one scene where it's when Spock is still sitting in the shuttle and Burnham is out on the hull and she's getting ready to go. And he figures it out. And you can see in his face that I almost feel like he grows up, like he ages in that like 20 seconds where you're just looking at Spock's face. Do you know the moment I mean? I think so. It's right before he, he complain he explains everything. And to me, that was like, I don't know. That was just a really moving, moving moment. Like I saw this, I saw Spock just become Spock Mm -hmm. kind of, it was just, it was, it was almost too much. Everything in this show was almost too much. Um, I screenshotted that. (laughs) I had to find it, but like, yes, I do know that exact moment. I loved um, hearing Reno, and I'm on record as being a big Jet Reno fan. She's like, violate the basic laws of physics? I don't think so, which was such a great callback (laughs) to, to, you can't change the laws of physics, Captain. I love that. And, but let's also talk about another great Saru speech. Saru speech. Remember in the first season, he had that, he had that great discovery is not, Lorca's speech it's ours mm-hmm. now and when he said you will see a human face it's but it's not a human being I think he's really embodying a Starfleet captain there he's doing he's telling his crew what's going to happen but telling that it's going to be okay and I was just really impressed with that little bit of writing I think that Doug Jones is obviously great but um I'm really enjoying the character just really becoming more of a I thought he was they were going to make him a captain. I thought Pike was going to promote him in the field right there, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And I was a little disappointed. I I mean, Captain but, Saru was, like, so on point for this episode. Um, that, was, that was a really neat moment, I thought. Yeah, it really was. It was, that's something else I enjoyed and paid attention to the second time I was watching this, was just how great Saru sat in that chair and commanded oh. and under all that pressure. I mean, Go that was all fire. him, so. Yep. Oh. Oh, and I almost forgot the that fight scene with Giorgio, Leland, and Nan. Yeah, where, with, yes. with, the, with the gravity being fluctuating there. All I could think of was that scene where Fred Astaire dances on the ceiling, mm-hmm. right? Where they rotate the. You know what I'm talking about, Rick, Mister Theater. Yeah. yeah. They they rotated the set, and I'm curious: did they rotate the set during that fight? Because yep. stuff was fall. Did they? Oh yeah. Because stuff was falling, and I just thought that was that was a really that was a neat fight. And fight scenes for me, you know, sometimes they're fun and sometimes I just kind of, you know, whatever, look at Twitter during them because they don't, I know they move the, they move the story forward a lot, but sometimes it's, 
it's really not my scene, but oh, that was a good one. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Anytime I, Michelle Yeoh gets to do a fight scene, I'm glued. Uh-huh. Yeah, that. But I just thought the, the use of the gravity in that scene was fun. One thing I have to say about Michelle Yeoh, though, is she's got a face of steel. Taking all those open hand punches and not a single bruise, that was impressive. She's she amazing. Finally. <laughs> I, I love seeing – that's another reason why I just love her inclusion in this series. Like, all of these fight scenes have been amazing – um, and yeah, like you see women de- defend themselves in Star Trek before, um, especially Klingon women, but like, holy cow, this just, she takes it to a whole other level. Um, and I appreciate that very, very much, uh, for sure. All right. Did you have anything else or? Oh, no, I can stop there. I've got tons <laughs> of stuff, but I'll stop there. I'll spare yeah. you all. There was, it was, there was just so many really nice points in this, in this episode, I thought. Well, hopefully we we get them between Jeff and I, and if not, then we'll come back and revisit. So, Jeff, <laughs> take it away. Uh, I guess probably one of the moments that made me misty, the most misty in this episode, was the Culber speaking to Stamets in the in the medical oh bay. Um, my baby. Yeah. Some of the things that he said were just so touching and sweet. I'm your family. Let me take care of you. And wherever we go, we we go. Well, wherever we go from here, we I go together. I can read it. I can uh, read it. I just read it. I just read. It. Oh, you want to read the whole thing? No, it was. I, well, it's, it was wonderful it, and touching. It really was. I think that the biggest thing, because he, he, you know, basically said that you were like, I tried to leave, but you're my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I came back and that everything always came back around to you. And I'm sorry it took me so long to find it. Um, and he said, I'm your family. Wherever we go from here, we go together. And I mean, I think that as a Star Trek fan, like, you know, we're family. And uh, th- that line just really struck a chord with me because I know that <laughs> Discovery has been criticized <laughs> for its entire two seasons about like not, you know, just this not being Star Trek stuff. And it's like, I'm sorry, but Star Trek Discovery is the heart of Star Trek at this point. It has had far more of lines like this talking about family, uh, characters telling each other that they love each other, that they've got your back. Um, it's not that that has not been in Star Trek before. I think that Discovery has just taken it to another level. But yeah, that scene was just super incredible. And I won't say more so that you can say more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm sure everybody has feelings on that moment. But I, I, if I was doing a, a Trek Ranks episode in the top five, touching moments in Trek, that would certainly be up near the top. I love it. Rick, do you have thoughts on, on Colmets? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. Cause I, you know, last week uh, on, on my own discovery show, I was talking about how frustrating it was when they would keep coming together in busy rooms and then leave separately again. And on the one hand, from a, from a storytelling point, it was good that they weren't taking the easy way. All of a sudden everything's all better route, but it was very unsatisfying emotionally. And this was just perfect because one, Stamets couldn't talk and mess it up. <laughs> so <laughs> Culber actually got to talk. Because um, I'm, I'm positive when he came to him in engineering in the first half, he was coming in to try to reconcile and Stamets oh, yeah. Yeah. didn't yeah. let him do it. Yep. Um, so it, it just, it, it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like, all right, let's just, get this over with so we can move on and people will stop yelling at us. Uh, it felt real. And and yeah, the chemistry between the two of them is wonderful. And Wilson Cruz, that's his name, right? Yep. Um, he, he's just, you know, 
he's so wonderful with his delivery and and his facial expressions and everything. Um, it, it just it you, you can't watch that scene and not be moved. Yep, I bawled. Jane, what did you think? I mean, I'm glad that it's getting resolved. I I understand a lot of the community's kind of lingering resentment about killing him off and bringing him back. I mean, um, my daughter won't watch Discovery because they killed him in the first place. And, yeah, and it, because she and I have watched Trek forever together, and so it kind of makes me sad that she doesn't share this one with me, but she she's like, I'm not, I, I don't do that anymore. When they kill off gay people, I don't watch it. And yeah, I'm yep. totally there, right? Yep, it is. And um, so I'm, I'm happy that it's getting resolved, but I still, I still, I'm still a little pissed off about it because, because they wrecked it, right? Right for me, for me and my daughter. Yeah. For me to be able to share that with her. And so I, I'm still a little resentful. I, I want them to get back together. And I absolutely love Stamets. I love him. My my friends and I, we all have this head cannon that head cannon that he's like my great 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 grandson because <laughs> our coloring is exactly the same, right? And so we always call my grandbaby a big joke. But I love I love them both, but I just want him to fix it so my daughter will come back. <laughs> I hope that she does. And you know, I I think her reasons are valid and I commend her for sticking, you know, sticking to those beliefs. Yeah. Um I do think that, you know, even the last episode, I was really upset. I was like, they cannot leave this without bringing them back together because we were kind of promised immediately when he was killed that this is not the end. Um, This is going to be an epic love story, basically. And so I've been waiting for this epic love story. And I... You know, I take all all criticism and celebration from the LGBTQ plus community um, because the the issue of the trope and of making you know killing off gay characters or making them tragic is a real thing, um, and so it definitely is very very difficult. I think that there was more here, and my my only complaint about um, this is that we didn't get a more in depth. <laughs> understanding of what they were going through only because like dealing with traumas like that uh, for both of them I think that would have been really insightful and helpful for people that haven't experienced that that might have people in their lives like of course nobody you know nobody in this time timeline and art and our time is going to go into um, the mycelial network and disappear you know Right. (laughs) With the metaphor there, like it still could have been really helpful um, for people in real life that are dealing with things like that. Um, However, for me, again, even when we have these these big issues um, and things that have touched me personally that, that I struggle with, it comes down to the execution. And it wasn't necessarily like this didn't wrap up for me like this big epic love story. That's not quite what I got. Mm -hmm. But what I got was absolutely a very powerful love story. And it was done so, so well. And again, all, all accommodations, we got so much from Anthony Rapp in the first season. We got, (laughs) we got, we got more, like we still had him this season, but we got more of Colbert's side Mm -hmm. in this season. And 
what both of them have brought to those characters really, really pushes it beyond just being something that was a trope for me. And I, I can't, I don't speak for the entire queer community out there. Um, this is just my own personal experience. And so I hope that in time, maybe your daughter will get to a place where, where you could even say like, that's, that's not quite what, you know, like, yeah. it, <laughs> it made me sad. And I mean, it, the whole him dying in the first place was sad. But then I had this kind of extra level of, wow, you've kind of wrecked a fun thing for me, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, and in addition, I don't think that they've dealt with Hugh's trauma at all. I mean, they, I mean, we got the scene know, with, with Cornwell, um, and that little, to cut it, I'm afraid. Yeah, you know, it's you know? not. It's not. And again, that's just one of, you know, it, it just always comes back to 14 episodes versus 26 yeah. episodes yeah. And, and the things we're not going to get. Um, that's time for fanfic, my friends. Yes. Get out there, people, and write the stuffs uh, uh, or write your blogs or write about like how your own experiences with, with traumas have affected you and your relationships and, you know, use this as a starting point to talk about those things. Like the things that didn't get addressed in the show, if they relate to you, you have a voice and you can use that voice. Um, so, so put that out there. I, uh, I'm just really happy that, that our space booze are back together. And I sure as heck did do like, make sure to slowly watch the scene on my phone and make sure that that, that um, Stamets had a smile on his face at the end. Cause oh, my baby. You know, it's like, he was kind of out of it. So you're like, oh gosh, like, is, is he okay with this? Like, and you can tell that he is also touched and moved um, by Colbert's words and that everything is, I think going to be okay. And maybe in season three, we're going to get more of, of this. Maybe we are going to get mm -hmm. a little deeper of a look. Um, I, I definitely would love to see that. All right, Jeff, any more uh, special commendations? Um, a couple more emotional high points from this one. I think that the coming together of Starfleet, the Klingons and the Kelpians was a big surprise to me and I wasn't expecting it, but I, had that nerdy welling up of emotion when I saw the other ships coming in. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Um, and so we got a long ways to go before the Klingons become a part of, of the Federation. But I like that little moment where, um, you know, Lorel is coming in to help save the future. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Very triumphant uh, moment for this episode. Um, I also love the Enterprise crew and Ash Tyler sticking to their stories. Uh, and number one, once again, not using her real name. Her name's just number one. Can I? Yes. Yes. Because look, and I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, Jeff, I know you're not a social media person, so you may not have seen that in, I think, 40, 48, 45, 48 minutes in, um, he, Captain Pike does call her Una. Mm -hmm. Where is that scene? I've been trying to find it because people have been saying I, that. I missed it. I, even the second time through, I didn't see it. Even Memory Alpha says it's there. And I, I, I went back and I put on the subtitles and I still couldn't find it. I also, so subtitles aren't picking it up right, oh. um, but I have seen, because like it didn't pick it up. I watched it on CBS All Access on my iPhone with closed captioning and it did not pick it up, um, but I have seen screenshots. So I, I would just maybe Google it or search in Twitter because I don't have like the specific tweet I saw with the, okay. the minute mark that it was at. However... I absolutely, but like I, so I watched the episode, like not being aware of that at all. So my only understanding was that she identified herself as number one. And look, it is all, it is all about that agency. 
And so we've we've had conversations um, on the show. We've had conversations in um, the the representation of women. I just call it the women uh, supplemental that I've been doing with a panel of women. And it's when you when you have nicknames for characters, it just comes down to the agency of the character saying what their nickname is, especially if they're a marginalized person. And mm-hmm. so. Not only like did she say, I mean, she's like number one. Like she, her delivery on that was just, it just was like, yeah, okay, I got it. Like that is all, all that I needed. Um, so yeah, I'll talk more about number one in a minute. Um, but Jeff, did you have any or anything else? Um, a couple more quick emotional high points. Serana watching Discovery going through the wormhole was a sweet moment. And my inner nerd loved the Enterprise and Space Dock. That yeah. was a really oh nice my gosh, yes. Well. Another sobbing Amen. moment. And much <laughs> shorter than the motion picture. So thank you for that discovery. <laughs> uh, and one more thing that was a head scratcher for me was the fact that Spock told, that said the burn of the time crystal showed her a possible future. Mm-hmm. So that meant it also showed Reno a possible future, but it showed Pike a definite future. That's because Pike took the crystal. Yeah, yeah. that seems so flimsy though. Yeah. I, I heard somebody compare so the time crystals to Bajoran orbs. Uh, and that, seemed to be an interesting parallel uh, i guess but i mean he didn't actually break the crystal off did he the klingon yeah the, crystal the klingon no but uh, tanavik did yeah but he took like he he was the one that came in to remove it basically mm, i guess he can't carry the grail across the threshold no yeah. i mean they and they specifically told him like if you take this that will be your future. If you don't mm. want that future, don't take the crystal. I know. It, is. it just doesn't seem to really hold up well in my mind, but that's okay. Well, he actually touched it physically, didn't he? I mean, he held it in his hands. Didn't the other characters were just kind of in the room getting kind of some time crystal blowback was kind of... Oh, they touched it. Burnham put her hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but her... Right, well, yeah. Again, and, that's... and you know, speaking of Pike and that whole time crystal thing, did he tell Cornwell? I kind of got the impression, right, yeah, when she's telling like him, you don't think he had a conversation with her about that because Mm-mm. she's she's like, whatever your future holds. I thought she's got to know that he had some kind of upsetting situation happen to him. Well, he I... he was, you know, any time it came up, you know, you know, you're better off not knowing. Wink, wink. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't. I mean, he he did he said in there, if I'm meant for a different future, this thing can't possibly go off with me in here. Yeah, good point. Um, I think she was just saying from one person to another, like you got it, you got this, <laughs> like you you can. Ha- and I think that it also kind of just played into our own, like the viewer's knowledge of what happens. Mm-hmm. So it kind of turns into a moment like that. Um, I think it seemed purposely vague, where you could kind of put either perspective on it because i i thought like like i it really looked like she knew but i was like yeah they have time to talk about it well i mean on that point like and i jeff i assume that those are all of your all your mentions um uh, talking about vague vague things (laughs) (laughs) the way this show ended like look i i i'm I have not signed the petition for the Pike show. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I, um, I don't, I don't need the Pike show. I am not going to lie that that scene kind of pushed me. I still haven't signed the petition, but 
I, I kind of would love to see it. And the way that it ended felt so much like, oh, we're going to go with both ships into, <laughs> you know, like, into their journeys. And I mean, it, it, it was a great ending, you know, regardless um, that part. But I, until I got like that much of number one, um, which it wasn't a lot of number one, but at least every time she was there, she just had this like, I don't even know how to describe it. I just want to be that woman. <laughs> I want to be that confident, that self-assured, that calm, that ballsy. Like she is just, uh, she is totally what I have always expected number one to be. I just wish we had got to see more of her badassery. So like I'm down for the Captain Pike show that's actually Captain Una, <laughs> Captain <laughs> number one. Um, and I, you know, would have loved to see more of Spock. It, uh, it definitely kind of gave me that feeling of like, yes, let's go. Like, let's boldly go. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I actually went on Twitter thinking, oh my God, like, did they have this show under their belt the whole time? And now they're going to announce it tomorrow or they're going to announce it at Comic-Con and it's still pretty vague. So that was pretty pretty definitive in saying that at least as well as much as we can believe when anyone's talking in hollywood uh you know he has said that while he wouldn't be averse to such a thing it's not in the works yeah um which you know i don't know i my uh, my general advice is don't get your hopes up yeah (laughs) however i totally will still be in that boat of that's something that i think would have been great to see um for all that I've never, I haven't criticized Pike. It's just been more of a, I don't, I don't want people to look back and say that I wish I'd gotten that show instead of discovery. That hurts my heart a bit to think about that. And, and it certainly does play into the fact that it's another white male captain. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to be yeah clear about that. Um, however, I will say this. If, if, if we were going to have a show with another white male captain, which I don't want, but if we were, um, I think that Pike sets a pretty great example of what, what a man should be. Uh, and, and that involves treating everyone on his ship with respect, um, considering them all equals, uh, having relationships with them, which we don't see a lot, but you know, you, you can tell in the interactions um, that he knows his crew. And so I, I want more men like Pike. I've got two of them here on this podcast, but I want more men like that in the world. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Uh, and so for, like for that, I really, I really respect the fact that he was written that way. Um, and that, that Anson Mount was able to play him and, and portray him in that way. Um, I am totally on board with him being, a favorite captain for so many people. And I, I do appreciate what he and everyone else um, brought to Discovery, but I am absolutely ready to go somewhere else. And as I said, like when I started the show um, this evening, I, I, I had kind of wondered like, at, at what point did this come to fruition? At what point did they decide to take this show into the future? Um, and I've seen criticism about 
the writers pandering to certain members of the Star Trek audience that have complained about all of these different facets of discovery. And I think that it is really, I think that kind of wades into dangerous territory of gatekeeping because I think that sure there are fans out there that are just hating discovery, like to hate it. Um, and I don't pay attention to those people. Like that, that, that's not who I'm interested in. I am interested in people like you, Rick, um, who have criticism. <laughs> yeah. Who have valid criticism. Uh, and I can talk about that criticism without, you know, moving towards a hateful position. Um, I think that it shows much respect from the writer's room and all of the creatives involved that they have taken the opinions of all fans into consideration. Um, I don't, I don't think that's pandering. I don't think that doing what they've done with the show with, you know, bringing in Pike or with moving it into the future or wrapping up Canon in this way. Like, I don't think that any of that is the writers of discovery going belly up to fans who criticize them. No. Like, if if that were the case, we would not have like the most feminist Star Trek in the history of Star Trek. And that's saying a lot when Star Trek has always been feminist. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I just, I really, I, to me, this, this change, this reset, that's not quite a reset um, was a phenomenal decision. And I am so excited to go to a place where we don't have to listen <laughs> to people pitch about canon. Um, <laughs> I think that like, Y'all, I if canon may not be such a binding thing for me, I understand why it is for other people. And I think that there are all levels of criticism out there that have been valid. No Star Trek is perfect. Like <laughs> there at, at the end of the day, it you know, it is what it is, and it has this legacy and it continues to survive because it does stick to continuity overall. But trying to put it in this tight little box with a bow on it and turn it into one specific thing. It's never been that like Star Trek has always been an evolution of many, many different people, not just one guy who's been dead for 20 years now. Um, so I, all commendations just go to everyone involved in this show. Uh, they've done given, given what has gone on behind the scenes, which maybe we'll get a documentary someday. Um, I think they have done the very best that they can. And now the show is going in a direction uh, where they can really come into themselves. And I think that's also in line with most series of Star Trek and that it takes a few seasons to really get where you need to go. Um, but speaking for myself, like these have been the best first two seasons of Star Trek that I've ever watched. So I'm here. here. I agree. I agree. Yay. Going the into the future is the good choice. The thing that's so interesting to me right now is that the first season and the second season are they're so different mm -hmm. that I'm extremely curious and impatient for season three because it it's just been I, when I I said to my son at the beginning of season two I said I feel like season one was just a cold open for season two and now I'm like well now what are we going to get in another how long is it going to be is it really going to be a year. Yeah, well, they're filming now. Um, so they're filming now. They started filming this month. So I assume fall, maybe, 
or beginning oh. of next year. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the specific release dates. I don't know if anyone else has well, too any. long, no matter yes. how long it is. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Now I'm forgetting. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll come back to that, I guess. Um, any any closing comments from Rick or Jeff there? Yeah, I, I would, you know, I, I would like to put out the caveat that I love Discovery. I have loved it since the beginning, even when there's been stuff that I wasn't too thrilled with, which, like you said, no Star Trek is perfect. Um, you know, I don't particularly like sitting on the edge of forever. So there, <laughs> I'm, I'm a heretic in a lot of ways. So. <laughs> I can't stand um, DS9, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but Devil in the Dark is my favorite episode, too. Mine too. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, overall, Discovery has been amazing. I think the writers have done phenomenal work against incredible odds. Uh, you know, this is the first Star Trek that has had to deal with, with the internet in any mm-hmm. real way. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, balancing the realities of creating a television series, dealing with investors and studios and, and uh, you know, advertisers and whatever, you know, plus this incredibly vocal uh, crowd of, of consumers who, you know, they either listen to us or they don't. Um, and then, you know, we can't even always make up our minds about what we want for one, you know, between one day and the next. Uh, I think Discovery's writers walk that line so well. And the, the, the cast, I have never seen a cast so dedicated to Star Trek mm-hmm. in the history of Star Trek. Um, you know, from the, from, you know, before the show even started and when they were appearing at, at conventions and, and doing interviews and stuff, it was so clear that they, you know, they worship at the same altar we do. Um, and they get it. They all get it. Even when they get it in a way we don't necessarily understand, uh, you know, they get it. And I will, I will follow this crew wherever they go. Uh, you know, the worst episode of Discovery, to me, is better than the best episode of just about anything else. <laughs> um, I love that. I, I, won't, I won't say anything specific, but any of y'all that know me know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, uh. <laughs> Uh, so I just, uh, you know, if anyone that's involved in the creation of Discovery happens to hear this, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for two wonderful seasons. And I can't wait to see where we're going with the next one because, you know, we're tabula rasa now. They can do mm-hmm. anything they want. And I'm really excited about that possibility. Mm-hmm. Jeff, yeah, it's cool. Well, I, I would echo a lot of Rick's comments about Discovery. I see, you know, I think we all of us have seen plenty of attempts at doing prequels over the years, whether they be movies or television shows, and there are a lot of inherent pitfalls uh, to doing prequels because you're chained to so much that that was already put out in the world. Like, I mean, look at the Star Wars prequels when they came out. Um, It's a lot of difficult things. I mean, it probably would have been easier for them to just start in the future somewhere and just kind of, you know, have a blank slate, not be slaves to that. But I I think it was a, a brave attempt, and I think they executed it as well as they could have. Um, I know we've all had our criticisms over the first two seasons, but overall I think they handled it very well. And I'm glad that they're finally going to cast those chains off and start on some new adventures that, that don't necessarily have to play into, you know, TOS and beyond. Um, this is going to be exciting. It's an exciting future for discovery. And um, I'm looking forward to also whatever short tracks come out in the future. Give us a little more backstory. 
Yeah, I I guarantee that whenever we get those, we will be back. <laughs> like we're I, we're not going to be able to sure. to not be here uh, for that. Uh, I have no idea what's coming, uh, and I think we're going to get two. Is what we've been promised so far. Two short so, tracks. Yeah, yeah. I really like those. I loved how they like played in. Like I liked like we got them before we knew what was coming, and then we got to see. And like with Poe, like it wasn't till the end of the season that we got to see her come in. Man, yeah, that was a good Poe and Jayla. I like like that is mm-hmm, very good, good, uh, good stuff there. Uh, Jane, any any closing thoughts? Oh, I can't. I just want to echo what everybody else is saying. It's such good Star Trek, you guys. I mean, I've seen so much Star Trek in my day, and I've seen so many reactions and the level of connection that we have now to the people who are making the show is unprecedented and that's what's just so amazing to me I love it Mm -hmm. that like on Twitter like an actor will talk to you that's just that still blows me away Mm -hmm. right and it's just it's really exciting it's such an exciting exciting time to be a fan and it's it's so much fun it's so much better than Usenet Yeah, I. You know, it's a great show, and I mean, and I've always kind of rooted for the Enterprise, the underdog. I've always really, really loved. I loved Star Trek Enterprise because and people people bashed it, and it's kind of coming into its own, and people are getting, you know, are looking back on it and saying, "Hey, you know, that was actually a really good show." And I want to say it was. Discovery is a great show too. Can we stop the whining? Let's go on. So. That's the way I feel about it. That's the way I feel about all Star Trek. Like, like I said, like there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. Um, at the end of the day, I think the very basic fact that it's Star Trek and there's a philosophy built in that teaches us how to be better human beings um, is is what really shines through in every series. Aside from the acting, um, but it's like there's always those those few episodes that just stick out and resonate so strongly, um, and those are just like the stepping stones to this utopia, which is not a future thing. Like it's something that we need to work on now. Uh, it is, I, I sometimes refer to Star Trek as the blueprints um, for how to be a better human being. And I, I, I stick by that. Um, that is my favorite thing about Star Trek is that it teaches us the importance of compassion and communication. Uh, and before I cry some more, um, <laughs> yes, about a, a thousand million commendations. I know there are some some of the actors listen to the podcast. I don't know how many. I hope that those who do will will certainly uh, tell everyone else how much we have enjoyed their work. Um, it's hard, hard work, and I can't even imagine doing that work while being on social media. Just that having that presence and dealing with the criticism. Um, even for like people like Anthony, who, who's still having to defend himself as a victim of sexual assault, like having to balance that in your social media life or, um, just having to deal with some of the ridiculous comments that, that I see and that I get, like, I can't imagine dealing with that, but then still turning around and being so kind to all of the fans and interacting with us and, then seeing other fans like like my one of the things I love the most about getting to experience this on social media is reading everyone's reactions or seeing someone get super excited when an actor favorites their tweet or responds to them like that just gives me life like 
seeing people excited about Star Trek, like this excited. It's great. I love it. Uh, all right. A crier. <laughs> um, no, I'm doing really good to hold it in. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this last quote um, because I think that it really. Okay, I think that it really just embodies the heart of Star Trek, and I think it can be interpreted in many ways. Um, but this was Burnham talking um, to Spock before they parted ways, and she said, "There is a whole galaxy out there full of people who will reach for you." You have to let them find the person who seems farthest from you and reach for them. Let them guide you. And I think that specifically for Spock, <laughs> that that is something that that he needed to hear. Um, but I think that to viewers, uh, that that reaching out um, and and listening to other people, I don't think that that. Uh, necessarily confines that to other nice people or other people who agree with you. I think that it is really important. Um, by no means do I want to send a message that you must tolerate being bullied or harassed or being exposed to hate in any way. But I do think that it is very important to not react to something like an opinion that is different from yours um, by completely shutting someone out or, or just refusing to attempt to communicate with them. I think that we live in such a divisive time, um, and especially on social media, we forget that there are other human beings on the other side of the internet. And I just encourage everybody to really listen to that advice and take it to heart and to reach for other people and to respond when they reach for you when that is a safe and comfortable place. I think that that is really the heart of teaching us how to be better people. Compassion is something that we need more and more of these days. And so I appreciate Discovery um, for reinforcing that philosophy of Star Trek. And I, as a Star Trek fan, am really proud of what Discovery has done. And I'm going to stop before I ball. Okay. (laughs) All right. I did it. So thank you, both of you. It has been such a joy Um, And especially, we love you, Rick, and we'll talk to you soon. But Jane, this was your first time. We've been friends on Twitter for for quite some time. A long time, yeah. Um, But I am, it is so thrilling for me to get to talk to my friends. That that is a big part of why I love podcasting, because we can tweet back and forth all the time. But but getting voice time with you and getting to know you in this way is super meaningful for me. So I hope that you've had a good first podcasting experience. Well, I'm always, I'm a very imp- opinionated person, so I'm always happy to tell everybody what those opinions are. So, yes, thank you for having me. I love that. I think that more women should be opinionated and and uh, very confident in their opinions. So, I appreciate having your presence here. All right, let's go around the table and tell people where they can find us on social media. Jane, I'll start with you. You already told us once, but tell us again. I'm I'm on Twitter. Um, JaneNX01 is me on Twitter. If you see that handle anywhere else, it's probably also me. Um, my social media is pretty limited right now. I'm not on Facebook anymore. Um, you can find me on the PlayStation Network if you want to play Anthem with me um, as Isilia Archer which is Captain Archer's wife in the alternate timeline. Oh, my. Yes. Hmm. So if you, if you ever see her, that's me. That's really about it for me right now. I'm not – I've cut back a lot. Yeah, I've got a lot of video gaming to do, and it takes, it, it takes away from my gaming. 
Yeah, I'm not a gamer, but you're, I'm, you're not alone in pulling away from parts of social media. I think uh, both Jeff and I can attest to that. Um, Rick, where might we find you and your show and your network? Um, my, my network still doesn't quite have a home yet. Uh, I, I need to put a, a website together. <laughs> it's been, <laughs> been kind of something I threw together. At, I, I chose a very bad time beginning of the semester. And Anyway, um, uh, you can just uh, find Starbase the Next Generation and Open the Iris and Infinite Diversity are all on iTunes uh, and also Google Podcasts. Also, uh, I'm on Twitter. I am Admiral Marius, ADM Marius, uh, on Twitter, and I love to talk Trek, uh, or just about anything else, too. I'll, I'll, I'll BS about anything. On Facebook, uh, the Infinite Diversity Discussion Group, uh, it's a closed group because we want to keep the, you know, the bots and the, and the, the, the bad guys out, but if you want to come and join our conversations, uh, just answer a couple of silly questions, and I'll let you right in. Sounds good. Jeff? Are you out there anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as Heather alluded to, I, I have become a social media outcast for a while. Um, I'm still Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter, so if you mention me or DM me, I will uh, jump on and respond to you. And sometimes you can find me hanging around the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Yep, I highly encourage if you are looking to attend STLV, the Star Trek Las Vegas convention this year, make sure to find us, the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Uh, and also tune into Shore Leave, uh, which probably pretty soon we'll start doing maybe some STLV, STLV prep type stuff. Um, but if you cannot wait for that, then go ahead and check out STLV. 101.thetricordertransmissions.com uh, and that uh, is a series that Jeff and I did with like all you need to know about the convention uh, but Marina and Jesse will be talking about other conventions since con season is starting uh, so make sure to give them a listen at uh, shore leave we I am at LLA Posper on Twitter feel free to find me there uh, the show is at disco underscore Trek on Twitter. We are just disco Trek on Facebook and then also the tricorder transmissions on Facebook uh, and then the tricorder transmissions.com. So do continue to follow us. Um, there will be part two of the women, a look at women representation in Star Trek discovery that's currently being edited. And the women on that panel have much more to say. So we're actually going to do part three. Uh, and so that should come out in a few months and then we'll <clears throat> definitely do something with the short treks and we'll see uh, what happens with any other supplementals. I have some ideas, but nothing is set in stone. Uh, man, guys, this is it. <laughs> I, I don't want this to be the end. Um, so I, I, I thank you again. Thank you for being here for this, this final episode of the season. And uh, keep talking about Discovery. Keep talking about Star Trek. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to hopefully be doing a rewatch of both seasons. I'd like to. I don't know if I will have time. But I guess until season three, live long and prosper, guys. Thanks, you too. Peace and long life. Peace and long life.